Open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, you're not going to believe this, chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13 and also get Acts chapter 3. Zechariah 13 and Acts chapter 3. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. I, I mentioned to the Sunday school class, which is the best class in the church, um, that, man, I feel better than I have in about, I don't know, two or three years. I, I'm rested and just excited about what God is going to be doing. Got some announcements we're going to be making over the next few weeks with the church calendar and other things, so it's exciting. Now, over the next few weeks, I, I, I haven't, my plan had been to outline the last two chapters to really know how many weeks it's going to be, but who's counting? So over the next few weeks, however long it takes to finish, I want us to, before we dive into chapter 13, I want us to understand how important this is. And I know that this book of Zechariah, the teaching through it, it has, it's gone on for a long time. And because of the way it's written, it repeats a lot of the same information over and over and over again. But as we get into these last two chapters, it's really important that we, all of us as, as believers, that we understand how important this is. So let me just ask you a couple of questions. How many of you believe that this is important? Right? And one of the... the big issues, one of the largest that I think, in people's misunderstanding of the Bible is what the theme of the Bible is. So if you ask the average Christian, what is the theme of the Bible, they're going to say either God's love for mankind, you know, it's God's love letter to man. Uh, they might say the redemption of mankind is the theme of the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear this. There's a scarlet thread that runs through all the pages of Scripture. How many of you have heard these statements? And I think all of those statements are true, that the Bible is God's love letter to man. There is a scarlet letter that runs through the Scriptures, the blood of Jesus Christ, and that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that's true. But that's not the theme of the Bible. And if imagine a book... Imagine a book that you're going to teach and you don't know what the theme of the book is. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? That would be a problem. And so people have this understanding that the theme of the Bible is the redemption of mankind. Now, is the redemption of mankind an important component to the Scriptures? He came into the world to save sinners, the Bible says. Praise God that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Like Paul said, of whom I am chief. Hallelujah, he did that. But what's the theme of the Bible? Go with me to Acts chapter 3, and then we'll come back to Zechariah 13. So this is the message of the apostle Peter. So remember, they've healed this man. They say, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give we unto thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus, arise and walk. Man, what a gift that was, right? 
And then they start preaching. And he's, he said, I, I don't do this in my own power. I do this in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter begins preaching about Jesus Christ and Israel's need for Jesus Christ. So now look at what he says in chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now notice what it says. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive. Now look at this right here. Until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of. What's that next word? Everyone, what's that next word? All his holy prophets since the world began. So if all the holy prophets have spoken about one thing, that is the theme of the Bible. And what is that thing that they have prophesied? That Jesus Christ is coming back. And that Jesus Christ is going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And he's going to receive the glory that is due his name. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. We've just come through the Christmas season. You may have thought of this verse or read it or heard it sung. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. So the child, his body, is born. But the son existed before the body. The child is born. The son is given. And look at this. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, is the government upon Christ's shoulder right now? No. The Bible says, we see not yet all things put under his feet. Remember, when Satan was tempting Jesus Christ in the wilderness, he offered him the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus didn't look at him and say, you don't have the authority to give me those kingdoms. No, Satan is the God of this world at this point. He's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. The Bible says, among whom we all had our conversation in time past. So we understand that this world and this entire world system is under the rule of Satan. Now, we don't have to worry about that because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? That we can overcome him, the Bible says, by the, the, the word of testimony. Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that I know Jesus. But look at what it says, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Can I just tell you something? When God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. So what is going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and he is going to rule and reign in the earth. But more than that, he is going to receive the glory. That he deserves. Look at Psalm 96 and verse 8. 
this passage is quoted three times in Scripture. The statement is made three times in Scripture. Psalm 96, 8, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh. See that? For he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world and with righteousness and the people with truth. The theme of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is coming to rule and reign on the earth. He will judge the people righteously and he will receive the glory that is due unto his name. All the holy prophets have prophesied about this. Go to the book of Jude, the end of your Bible, the book of Jude. Right before the book of Revelation, look at verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So even Enoch, going all the way back to the very beginning of the world, prophesied that Jesus Christ is coming back with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on the earth. And go back to Acts chapter 3. What's going to accompany that? Acts 3 verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Why is this time of refreshing needed? Because he has just come to execute judgment. And so the whole world is basically destroyed and the world needs to be refreshed. Then look at what it says in verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. What's the restitution of all things? Have you ever wondered what the Garden of Eden looked like? That's what's going to happen. The restitution of all things. You know, nothing in the world is as it was intended to be. When, when you see sickness, when you see trouble, when all, all of the disease, all the, the natural disasters that take place, all of that, that's because the world, the Bible says, that then was perished. But there's going to be the restitution of all things. That's what's coming. And when the restitution of all things takes place, Jesus Christ is going to sit on his throne and receive the glory that is due his name. So now as we go back to Zechariah 13, if you'll look at it with me, Zechariah chapter 13, now we're going to understand the significance of what happens in these two chapters. And I'll point something out to you. So Zechariah chapter 13.
When Jesus Christ returns, that's called the day of the Lord. All right? The day of the Lord. When you see the day of the Lord referenced in Scripture, that's another way to say it is it's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. Now, what do we call the Lord's day? Sunday. Sunday. The Lord's day. Look at... Do this for me. So... The day of the Lord is the day that the Lord returns to rule and reign on the earth. He restores the earth. He brings healing in his wings, the Bible says. And he receives the glory that's due his name. That's the day of the Lord. It's also referred to in your Bible as that day. Now, how many of you have heard me reference that day? All right. Now, here's the thing that's amazing. You, you, You just, you'd be stunned at how many Christians do not know this? The day of the Lord, that day. The significance of that day. So repetition in the Bible is what? It's God's volume control. Let's see if there's any repetition in the last three chapters of Zechariah. So go to Zechariah chapter 12. Remember, that day, the day of the Lord. All right, so Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Verse 4. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment. Verse 6. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood. Verse 8. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse Uh, 11, in that day shall there be great mourning in Jerusalem. Is there any repetition yet? Look at chapter 13 and verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. Verse 2. And it shall come to pass in that day. Verse 4. And it shall come to pass in that day. Look at verse chapter 14 and look at verse 1. Behold... The day of the Lord cometh, look at verse 4, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, verse 8, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, there shall be one Lord and his name one, look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. Verse 20. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Now, what do you think the theme of chapters 12, 13, and 14 is? That day. Remember Mark Trotter when we were in the old auditorium? Man, it's got to be almost 20 years ago. When he said, if you were able to go up to heaven and you were talking to God and you looked and God had his calendar on the wall and he let you look at his calendar and you're flipping through his calendar and you see all these momentous days and these momentous events. But there was one day and that day was marked. It had stars on it and smiley faces and and, and it's all marked up. You know that that was a special day. 
And you say to the Lord, what's that day? And he said, what do you think it is? And you said, that's the day that Jesus Christ died for us. And with a tear in his eye, he looks at you and said, that was an awful day. That was a terrible day. There's no smiley face on that day. This day right here, this is the day we're looking forward to. This is the day that Jesus receives the glory that's due his name. How many of you are thankful for your Savior? You're thankful that he died on the cross to pay for your sin. That he is able to wash you clean. That's the one that's going to get the glory that's due his name. Our creator, our sustainer, the one that upholds all things with the word of his power. That's the one that on that day, he's finally going to be worshipped. And how wonderful will it be to worship him with your sin gone. So that when you worship him, you truly can worship him. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen. In holiness. See, right now, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm so thankful that when Jesus Christ saved me, that now I stand before him sinless, because when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of his son. But I am still clothed in this flesh. In me that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Oh, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? How wonderful is it going to be? Man, I love to worship Jesus now. Can you imagine what it will be like to worship him in a new body, completely sinless, and give him the glory that's due his name? Now, go to Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 1. In that day, if you're a guest with us today, so folks that attend here regularly, we point out that day every time we see it in the Bible. So anytime you see that day in your Bible, in that day, if anytime you see it, there's going to be a reference to the return of Christ. Every time. Um, we're gonna be, I'm going to be showing you some of that stuff down the road. But, but understand, every time you see that, every time. Why? Because that's the theme of the Bible. Okay? Every time. Even if it's just a picture, it's the theme of the Bible. So don't miss that as you come through here. Verse 1. In that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So the uncleanness is what's in me. The sin is the outworking of the uncleanness that is in me. Okay? So this washing is for sin and for uncleanness. This fountain. And I know, how many of you are thinking this right here? There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. How many of you are thankful that Jesus Christ is the fountain of cleansing for you? That's not what this passage is talking about. So remember what happens in the tribulation period. Look, hold your place here. Go to Revelation chapter 9. Might be Revelation 8. I'll tell you when I get there. 
Yeah, it's Revelation 8. And look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there, flowed, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now look at verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. So what happens in the tribulation period is a third of the sea, a third of the rivers, a third of the streams, it's made bitter. And so people are dying all over the world because there's no fresh water. There's the lack of fresh water. So now when you go back to Zechariah chapter 13, and that day, verse 1, and that day there shall be a fountain opened to the inhabitants of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So this, this water, what, what here, let me, go with me to uh, Psalm 36, Psalm 36. Now stay plugged in here for just a second. I promise it's going to get good. Okay, Psalm 36. Look at verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. So remember, we're not going to go back to uh, Revelation 8, but the next passages, it talks about how a third of the sun, third of the moon, third of the stars is done away with. There's darkness that falls on the planet, and then Jesus Christ comes. And the Bible says in Malachi, hold, go ahead and go there, Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1. For behold, the day cometh, that would be that day, that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. The day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Look at this. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, and look at verse 12. 
Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, look at what it says, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So the world has, has sought different ways to be clean, different ways to live, and God says that they have refused him the fountain of living water. Now, go with me to um, Ezekiel chapter 47. When Jesus Christ returns and establishes kingdom and establishes his kingdom on the earth, the topography of the world is going to change. So hold Ezekiel chapter 47 and get Isaiah chapter 2. I told Laura this morning, I've got so many different things that tie to this message today that I've kind of moved away from my notes to just try and point out the high points and try and make some sense for you. So what's, what Zechariah chapter 13 is dealing with is this fountain that flows to the house of David. But where does it come from? Isaiah chapter 2, look at this. Verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So the last days here is right at the time of that day. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So what's going to happen is Jerusalem and the mountain of God is going to be raised up above the rest of the mountains in the world. That's what's going to happen. And then look at what it says in verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." All right, so now go with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. Look at verse 1. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. Okay, this is the house of God. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under, from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looked eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. Now, do you see the detail of this? He's seeing exactly what's going to happen. Verse 3. And when the man that had the line in his hand, this is a measuring line, Went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. And then he measures again another thousand cubits, and then it goes to his knees, and then it goes to his loins, and then another thousand, and it's too high, it's too deep for him to pass through. And look at verse 6. 
And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country, and go down into the desert, and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be, what's it say? Healed. And he goes on to talk about that happening with the rivers. And now there's going to be great fish and the, 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 the living creatures are going to live again. Why? Because it's all been destroyed. So now go back with me to Zechariah chapter 13. Get Zechariah 13 and get um, Exodus chapter 34. Zechariah 13 and Exodus chapter 34. So the Bible says in verse 1 of Zechariah 13, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Remember I said a minute ago, we think of there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Because we understand that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's what 1 John 5, 7, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 7 says. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But remember, for the people of Israel and for the world before Jesus Christ died, that sacrifice had to be made every year. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that there was a remembrance of sin every year. Because that blood had to be shed to cover their sin. This fountain that flows out of Jerusalem is for healing. And it cleanses the unrighteousness of the nations. But it also heals the land. and It does all of those things that the, that the Bible has said. Why is that necessary for the world? Because it's rejected Jesus. Why do you and I not need that healing that the Bible speaks of here? Because we have the blood of Jesus. They didn't have the blood of Jesus. This is so important that you see this. Go to Exodus chapter 34. So remember what has happened here. In Exodus 34, Moses has gone up onto the mountain. He's received the law of God. And he comes down and he sees the children of Israel dancing around the golden calf. And he gets mad and slams the tablets on the ground and breaks them. And then grinds it up, has them eat it. God kills a bunch of them because of their idolatry. And now God takes Moses back up onto the mountain to give him the law again. And he tells Moses, look at verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. You know, people talk about the Bible being inspired in the originals. The original law is gone. But God remembered what he wrote. Isn't that good? Remember, the words are what he's preserved, not the material that he wrote them on. The Bible says, Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. What did they write the Bible on? Grass, papyrus. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word 
will stand. So God, remember what he'd written. Now look at what it says in verse 2. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. I wanted to go there so bad. I was, when I was in Alexandria, Egypt. It wasn't that far to Mount Sinai, but there was no safe way to do it while I was there. But wouldn't it be cool to go up on Mount Sinai and see where God did this? Verse 3, And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like upon the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Can you imagine being there? He's literally in the presence of God. God comes down in the cloud and he starts saying his own name. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God. Now look at how he's described. Merciful and gracious. Are you thankful that the Lord's merciful and gracious? Isn't that good? But we've got to keep reading. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now stop right there. How many of you can say amen to that and you're thankful for it? Isn't that good? The next part I've never seen on a pillow. Look at what it says. That will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Wait a minute. How can he be full of grace and mercy? How can he be long-suffering but not clear the guilty. Because he's full of goodness and truth. See, the truth says that sin must be paid for. You cannot clear the guilty without the sin being paid. And the only satisfactory payment was the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that verse. Go to 1 John chapter 5. I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Look at this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Cleanseth us from all sin. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
You see, those people in the Old Testament, they had to keep going making that sacrifice. They were not cleared of their sin. When Jesus Christ died, the Bible says that as, uh, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, or in the heart of the, 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 in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What did he do when he went there? The Bible says he led captivity captive. The Bible says that he preached the gospel to those that were in prison. When the rich man died and he was taken, he, he, he awoke in torment in hell. And he looked across this great gulf and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom being comforted. And he said, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. And he said, you know, in your life you had your good things, but now you're tormented and he's comforted. You know what the Bible says? And he said, also, there's a great gulf that's fixed between us. Where were they? They were in paradise. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and the thief said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Why didn't they go to heaven? Why did they go to paradise? Because they couldn't go to heaven until their sin was cleared. Until their guilt was cleared. And so what did Jesus Christ do? He cleared their guilt. Can I tell you something right now? I stand before you today cleared of my sin because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, that fountain that comes out of the mountain of God, that fountain from Zechariah chapter 13, 1, that's refreshing the earth. That's the times of restitution that come from the Lord, the refreshing of all things. That's, that's restoring the earth and healing the earth and cleansing those nations and doing all of that healing. But I don't need that. Because I have the blood of Jesus applied to my account. I was listening to James Knox preach on this text. And he said, you know, the accuser, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that he accuses God's people day and night. He said, so the accuser comes to the Lord. He said, I imagine the accuser coming to the Lord and say, man, I've been talking to some of the people that go to church. And that brother James, talking about James Knox, talking about himself. So that brother James, he's been doing some stuff. And he said, God says, what things? And so the accuser, Satan, he opens his book to show the Lord. The Lord said, huh, what was that date again? All I see is the blood of my precious son. Turns to another date. Huh, all I see is the blood of my precious son. And he said, we can do this all day because he is completely clean. He is completely clear. I want you to think about something. When Jesus Christ in John 19, and he's on that cross, and he says, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, that wasn't only a cry into the future for Jim Alter. That was a cry into the past for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and for all the people that had followed God's commands in the Old Testament, but who had not experienced they had not experienced the cleansing that comes from Jesus Christ. Remember what Job said in Job chapter 
it's either 9 or 13, where he says, Though I wash my hands in snow water, that they be never so clean, yet wilt thou abhor me and cast me in a ditch. Why? Because God, I have no daysman. He's not a man that I can talk to him face to face. I wish it was, but it is not so with me. Can I tell you something? That son was given. The child was born. Listen, one day the government will be upon his shoulder. Do you know what that day is? That's the day of the Lord. That's that day. Can I tell you something? I am so thankful that I don't have to wait for that day to have my sin cleansed. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I stand before you completely sinless and clean before God. I'm a sinner. If a man says he has no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. Is that what the Bible says? But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the song say? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you thankful that he doesn't cover your sin, but he washes it away? Are you thankful that since Jesus Christ came, that now God clears the guilty? Have you had your sin cleansed? Have you been to Jesus? Have you washed your sin in the blood of the Lamb? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? See, that day is coming. There's going to come a time when the last Gentile gets saved and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The last Gentile gets saved and Jesus says, come up hither and every saved person is taken out of the world and God begins dealing with this world in that tribulation for seven years. And then he returns and sets his foot on that Mount of Olives and it's split in two and he marches into Jerusalem to establish his kingdom, which will never end. That's coming but only for those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? I hope that you're saved today. Don't say, well, since I know this truth, I'll get saved, at, you know, and the rapture takes place, then I'll get saved. No, the Bible says in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that God will send a strong delusion on them that they would believe a lie because they loved not the truth. You're hearing the truth now. If you think you're going to believe after Jesus Christ takes the world out, if that happens, the believer's out, you're deceived because you will believe a lie then and you will follow the Antichrist. That's what the Bible says. Wouldn't it be better to bow before Jesus Christ now? Remember what it says, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's all stand together. What's the theme of the Bible? That one day Jesus Christ is going to return and he is going to establish his kingdom and he's going to receive the glory that's due his name. How many of you think that we as believers ought to give him that glory now? Tonight we're going to look at verse 2. And verse 2 explains why. Jesus doesn't receive the glory that's due his name. So those of us who are saved, how many of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know for sure that your sin's been washed away. 
can we really focus on giving him the glory that's due his name? Do you know, how do we do that? With our life. We just give him our life. We, we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, like we looked at last week. That's, that's how we give him the glory that's due his name. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, do it today. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to take communion. All you do is you say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. You're virgin born. You lived a sinless life and you died on the cross for me. I know you died for the whole world, but you died for me. Then you were buried and you rose from the dead. I believe that. And I need you to save me. I've been trusting something else other than you alone. And I know that my good works can't save me, my baptism, my church membership. Nothing can save me but you, but your blood. The only thing that can remove my guilt, that can clear my guilt, is your blood. If you just go to the Lord and say that, He will save you. With every head bowed, nobody's looking around. Is there someone here that would say, I need to pray that today. I need Jesus Christ to save me today. Would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking but me. I need Jesus Christ to save me today. Amen. How many of you would say, I'm going to make it. I know that I'm supposed to give God glory. But since it's the theme of the Bible, and I've been reminded of it today, I'm going to renew my focus to give Jesus the glory that's due his name. Would you raise your hand? All over. Amen. Let's sing this song together, just as I am.